everyone. Welcome to another edition of Living Courageously Exposed, hosted by Big Inside Out Adventures and just truly Jennifer J. Saunders and my friends, Come Jay. Today, as you know, I'm always excited to bring another amazing person to you. However, today's guest is someone who has graced the microphone once before, and I'm really excited to bring her back to share another aspect of her story that I feel like is really important for people to hear. And in our last podcast interview, Melissa talked about, we titled that podcast, Fade to Black. And Melissa talked about her experience of going blind as in her early 20s and what that was like for her and then how she moved through that. Uh, if I remember correctly, I asked her how long it took her to get through a recovery phase and be okay on her on her feet and in her motions. And she said three weeks. It took her three weeks to figure it out. It was okay and time to live. So some of the things that, that Melissa highlighted, that she's ultra able. She's not disabled or, or because it has a negative connotation, but she's ultra able. All her other senses are heightened. Uh, she talked about trusting yourself, giving yourself a chance first, and then get out there and get it done. She talked a lot about how she gets to talk with other People. She loves to go and speak to kids about some of the hardships that we face in life and then how to overcome them and how she personally has risen above them. Some of the other things that uh, Melissa shared in that podcast, and I don't want to give it all away because I want you to go listen to Faith of Black. But some of those things are, again, you got to trust yourself. You got to believe in yourself to learn, turn less positive experiences into a positive lesson. And then be willing to step, I love this one, be willing to step into the blind spot and shine as brightly as you're intended to shine. So with that, let's bring back my friend from Australia, Melissa Benson. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much. Fantastic to be back on air with you. It's so exciting. Now, you and I talked about in that last podcast how I had had a little bit of intention to ask about some of these other sides of your story and just felt like because of the nature of the podcast that we were doing that this actually needed to have its own podcast, its own story, its own set of focus and intention. And so I appreciate you coming back to talk about this other part of your life. My um, pleasure. Yeah. So the last time we talked to you, it was Christmas. You were, now I want to remind people, you are blind. You, you don't have your sight. And ladies and gentlemen, she was making Christmas candy, working with hot molten lava. I struggled to do that as a sighted person, and she was rocking it <laughs> in her ultra-ability <laughs> self. So, Melissa, yeah. Christmas has passed. What have you been up to since we talked to you last? Um, I've been doing quite a few presentations um, about my life. And again, like we talked about in the, in the last podcast about, you know, just rising to the occasion, regardless of who you are, what you are, where you've been, but just as yourself. Um, busy living life. Um, been a really strong support network for my friends lately who are going through something really super tough, which is actually... To be honest, cracked my shell of late. I, uh, I've hit a bit of a weak spot. I'm balancing back now, which is really nice. But it, it's funny, you know, every, I think, five years, I, um, little weak spots or little fractures happen in my shell. And then 
have a bit of a reevaluation of my life and and then I patch up the cracks and get back to it, which is nice. But you know, look, we're already almost Easter and right. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> but unlike Christmas, I do not make homemade Easter eggs. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna be that happen. impressive. <laughs> but I do love to, to colour hard boiled eggs and you know, decorate them and, and then make a ton of egg salad sandwiches and potato oh. salad and curried egg sandwiches and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean we always did that growing up. So did you just say curried egg sandwiches? Yeah. Oh, that is so popular in Australia. What is Crazy. that? So literally uh, okay, so hard boiled eggs finely diced with um some real crispy iceberg lettuce shredded, uh with some best food mayo for any American out there. And um and some curry powder, and you just mix it all together, and it's cold curried egg. <laughs> Very popular in Australia, and it is absolutely delicious, like seriously delicious. And if you don't want to put it in a sandwich, you make it up and you dip crackers into it. It's so delicious. <laughs> oh, I am totally going to try that. Now, I love egg yeah. salad sandwiches, and I'm a mayo lover. I'm not a, I'm not a miracle whip. I don't know if in Australia it's too sweet. Yeah. It's it's yeah, amazing. we can get it at Costco. It's too sweet. Yep. Yeah, I've been I, best food my whole life. Yeah. I, I, All right. Yeah. So. I've never been a curry yeah. fan until about a year ago. And uh -huh. so now when you said curry, my, my attention was like, what? oh, I, I'm going to try if that. You, um, so, you know, you know, I'm sure they have in the States the keen curry powder in the, yeah. in the little square can. Probably. Yeah. And if not, any brand curry powder. And you add like half a teaspoon and then taste it. And if you want it a bit stronger, but it's so delicious. Oh my God. Oh my word. Even my dog eats it. Now, <laughs> are you saying <laughs> as in K E E N? Yeah. You know, okay. like Keenan's mustard. Yeah. Okay. Keenan's curry, Keenan's mustard. Yeah. Keenan. Okay. I'm going anyway. to look that up, see what I can find. And who <laughs> knew we were going to get this bonus today, folks? <laughs> Curried eggs. <laughs> Don't say, never say so we don't have your best interest in mind. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, like it's been um, it's been a really interesting year. I I sort of um, yeah, I, I sat back last weekend and and sort of went over what's happened in the in the past three months and went, wow, it's okay. Yep, enough emotional stuff for a while. Um, enough confronting issues. <laughs> so, yeah. it, time to get on i'm i'm thinking so i really appreciate that you're bringing this up that you like that's one of the first things you started with is i've i've had hit a bit of a weak spot and you talked about having a fracture in your shell and yeah i think there's a lot of that going around i too am experiencing some of that in my in my own self and I, i'm i've mm -hmm. chosen to practice lent and so uh part of what i'm doing is i'm cleaning out physical spaces. I take a bag of garbage, either garbage or giveaway stuff out every day. So I'm cleaning a little bit here and there and I'm noticing that as I'm doing this physically, I'm having all kinds of internal emotional stuff wanting to clean out as well. And and I'm I'm also thinking about other people who are who've said similar things to what you just said. Like there's just I think energetically there's some stuff going on and 
And I appreciate yeah, there's that. some weird stuff in the atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> you just put it out there so that other people, I, I, I really feel strongly that when we talk about it, we give other people permission to know that it's okay to feel what they need to feel. Absolutely. And you have to deal with it. I, I, one of my um, closest family friends, she's 12 years older than me, and she's sort of like my mom, my Australian mom. Aww. And um, I told her a couple of weeks ago how much I'd been crying, and she said to me, you don't cry. And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I am a blubbery mess. She <laughs> said, but I've never seen you cry in 37 years. And I went, uh-huh. Oh, I've been crying. But it's good to do that too. Yeah. Yeah, it is healing and you know, and we're also supporting the Kleenex companies. Right. Um <laughs> I didn't think about that. But it's necessary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really necessary to let it out. Yeah, I, I full on agree with you because I feel like each of those tears is actually quite precious. And they hold a special healing magic. And when we're able to let them out, it's kind of like, I tell people, it's kind of like a volcano. And when we continue mm. to just stuff emotions and stuff emotions and not let, let ourselves cry or feel what we need to feel, that eventually enough pressure builds up that there's an explosion with lots of collateral damage. But when we mm. allow ourselves those moments, it's kind of like, you know, volcanoes are kind of always spewing lava or they have little flows that when we allow ourselves to cry it's it's that same concept we kind of let the pressure out we let ourselves heal so it's yeah. not a big explosion later oh my gosh yeah, sure. so many beautiful things to talk about yeah. in, in that any other exciting news for us any new developments um anything you want us to know that way before we really get into the crux of what we're going to talk about not really. I, I'm, I'm super excited. I've, in the past six months, I have become more involved with the disabled aspect of life, not for myself, but doing presentations. And I'm actually going to a, a super cool festival in a couple of weeks here in Melbourne called Ability Fest. And it's not specifically for disabled people but they provide complete access friendly spots for disabled people to also attend as well as the everyday general public and so a company I know asked me to be a volunteer to either hand out wristbands water bottles or give directions so of course being totally blind I begged them to let me give directions <laughs> that is so awesome <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, um, I haven't noticed already. Melissa has a most amazing, like, sense of humor and personality, and a laugh that's totally infectious. Oh my god! They haven't got back to me yet, <laughs> but I've been, as I said, I've been really excited about this because I think when I lost my sight, I didn't want anything to do with disability. Not that I was in denial, but I just wanted to be inverted commas normal and so to focus on the disability I think threw me into a world I didn't want to be didn't want to be boxed into right. I, I've, I talked about not being I don't like to be put in a box and being told what to do um so yeah and I've been focusing on the disability lately which is real cool and I've um starting to be involved in it more so that's really exciting for me actually 
um, I, I feel like I'm sort of sick about talking about being blind. Yeah. Because as I've talked about in the last podcast, that's just a part of me. That's a, a minor detail. I am me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like this is a really big step for you. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I think after 26 years of being blind, it's about time I stepped into the disability sector. Um, people often ask me, oh, blah, blah, like the company, but you know Ability Fest? I said, no. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean you don't know about it? And I went, yeah, welcome to my life. <laughs> right. Right. I know. Oh my gosh. I, um, it's about time I started participating, you know, and plus disability is such a high point in Australia at the moment. We have a scheme funded by the government called the National Disability Insurance Scheme and they give each disabled member of, of the country, uh, based on the criteria, uh, et cetera, a certain amount of money in a government fund and through that you get all your carers or support workers and you get to live a more fulfilled life than you would have beforehand um and it's really incredible rest of the world is actually watching australia with a microscope seeing how this this pans out and so far i mean there are a lot of wrinkles still to work out but it's phenomenal it's just phenomenal. So in the past, like instance, you had a carer, you would have to go through an organization, not have direct contact with the carer when you needed something, and you had to be approved through the middleman. Now you get to go to your carer direct and communicate with them and work out everything you need. Because wow. it's always been in the past, you can't actually get what you need because you're going to the middleman that has a yes, no answer and guidelines, but not everything is within boundaries, you know, of time. So, no, so it's been real cool. That, but I'm really excited to be part of all this new wave of, of excitement in the disability sector. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why my speaking engagements are becoming more, not important, but more noticed now and um, and, and things like that. It's real cool. Anyway. I, I seriously have some like chills just listening to you talk about this and <laughs> and because I know like in our previous conversations this was something that you still weren't ready to step into and really own and I'm hearing you really step into this and that it's opening all these new things and that is so beautiful and exciting and yeah. I am really looking forward to it. It is exciting. I will say every six months I generally upgrade. Uh, <laughs> my life yeah I think that's a, people think I do the same thing but I don't so I don't know if our listener just heard that but she said every six months she generally upgrades her life I think that actually would be something that would be very valuable for myself and everybody <laughs> who listens to this to really kind of take note of and like okay six months has passed what have I learned and where do I want to go from here what is that next step yeah, I, I ran into some people a couple of weeks ago and um, they, they've known me forever and they said, oh, what have you been up to? And I said, oh, yeah, same, same, all the talking, the speaking and that. And they went, oh, nothing new. And I said, well, there is, but same, same. <laughs> As I know you and I discussed that expression last time. Right. But it's same, same, but I've just tweaked it that ever so little bit. So, you know. 
let's give the listener just a little peek into what it looks like every six months to upgrade. Because I would imagine if I, if I was someone listening to this and I didn't really have the tools or uh, understand the concept of what upgrading means, I would think it would have to be this big old change and, and things like that. So in my knowledge and from what I know of you and other people who upgrade, it's not necessarily big things. So what, what does that look like for you? Perhaps your moral compass can be set in the same direction all the time, but you might take half a step to the left, gotcha. but still then go forward with a little, a little pivot on the ball of the foot again and then continue to go forward. It's just that you, you might change your angle ever so slightly, but you're still going forward. Like I said, it's a minor tweak, so I still love doing my, my speaking, but I've just gone down a little bit of a different sector opposed to just with um, students, schools, education. Now I've gone the disability as well. But then it's interesting because with the students, I tend to, it's all about student welfare. Right. And what they call pastoral care in Australia, that's what they call it. Mm-hmm. And so it then goes to the disability sector and it's still welfare and pastoral care of the person. It's just that they're disabled now. And I know I've talked about in the past how everybody's the same to me. You know, like the, like the, mm-hmm. like my cake reference. Everybody's right. a piece of cake. We just have slight differences. So I've just ever so slightly changed the direction where I'm going, but yeah, it's still forward. Here's what I'm really loving about this today is I feel like I too am making some of those. I love you said your moral compass is set, but then you just take these little ever so slight, like a one degree or a half degree course change. It, it can set you almost feels like on a completely different path, but you know you're on the same. Cause, yeah, I, yeah. Because you haven't changed your morals. Right. You just you just ever so slightly altered your focus. Just a moral, but yeah. Right. And I appreciate hearing you talk about that you're embracing this thing called disability that you weren't before because that I feel like that's something for myself that I too um, with the LGBT community that I just. I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't like um, what I felt like it stood for. And I'm really finding myself making one of those small divots and stepping more into mm-hmm. it, finding people who are who are coming to me. So I too am learning how to embrace that thing that I didn't ever really want to embrace. And it's, it's mm. how it opens the world up. So man, I really appreciate you talking about this today. And I hope that as the listener, if this is something you feel like is going on in your life that you might be struggling with, reach out to one of us. We would be more than happy to have a more in-depth conversation with you. And really, we're here just letting you know that we support you and it's absolutely normal. There's going to be some discomfort, but you can do it. That, that was an amazing start to this. So let's let's just make it even more amazinger and let's start moving into to what it is you have to share with us today. Sure. I just want to, again, thank you for coming on. And today, Melissa is going to share something that I learned before we started this podcast that she actually hasn't shared in this way with anybody. So I just want to thank you again for your courage to come on and talk about this. I know that there will be somebody listening who will find this extremely beneficial and hopefully be able to take that upgrade in their own lives or find the courage to 
take the steps I need to take to step out of a situation that's unhealthy because you're willing to be brave. So thank you again. Yes, I know the listeners are going to go, well, come on. <laughs> Tell us Reveal. more. Like I said, in the last podcast, we talked about your experience of fade to black and, and what you experienced through going blind and how you've learned to live with that, this whole new amazing life that you get to lead and all the things that you get to do. But inside of that, I know that you had another experience that brought you a lot of really big challenges, a lot of pain, and a lot of, um, I'm going to use the word struggle. Uh, feel, free to, feel free to correct me and add whatever you want. So I'm just going to turn it over mm-hmm. to you to start moving into what this thing is and kind of start leading and I'll ask questions as they, as they come up, if that's okay with you. Of course. I was married. How old were you when you got married? 32. Okay. We were together 18 years all up, and, and at the 12-year mark, we got married because I don't believe in rushing anything. Right. <laughs> and, and, look, you know, we met when we were 23, and, and you know, we, we partied as well as worked and all that stuff. And my husband, he liked to drink. A, a lot of Australians love to. Okay. And that was sort of the thing in Australia. You know, you, you went to the pubs and... You went and saw live music and that was just how it was. And I just noticed over the years he started drinking and drinking more. And, and then his brother died unexpectedly, mm. um, which just shattered him. I mean, there was six of him and his family and this was his eldest brother. And it just it, it stopped his world, I think. And we sort of bounced back through that. And then he, he moved into state for 10 months with work and uh, all the people that he... Uh, lived around were transient so they all would migrate to the pub every night to basically socialize which then encouraged I think a heavier mind thought of of drinking or mindset I should say of drinking every day and and he basically became what my doctors told me was a functioning alcoholic and it was not a nice place to be for him or me but I think along the lines it triggered um, mental health issues that ran in his family quite right but the problem is he never went and spoke to anybody about it he basically just pushed all his problems under the carpet and denied everything that was going on and so amongst this living nightmare for me um it became very evident, especially when I began to open up to my uh, local doctor because we noticed some of my test results with my diabetes and my blood pressure levels were changing all that, that I was, in fact, involved in a domestic violence marriage, domestic wow. abuse. And you didn't and realize this? I did know it. Okay. Um, and I, I had, um, but it, to actually hear somebody else um label it was a different story and so at that point we tried to get me public housing or emergency housing to get away from him and as Australia with every other country just the demand on this this help for people is is beyond the ability of the government there's so many people waiting for help and eventually I mean I called every single organization you could imagine possible and I couldn't get help um, and I hadn't contemplated ever living on my own at that point so eventually it just it, it got too much yeah so let's just take one quick step back 
I don't know that I know what the definition of domestic violence is. For me, when I think about it, I think um, actual physical abuse. So what was it that you were experiencing? Was that part of it? Was it just... uh, I was experiencing verbal, emotional, financial, Um, and physical abuse. So the verbal is happily tearing you to shreds. The emotional is breaking you down. And and ultimately, he stripped me down to 5% of my self-worth, mm. which is hard to imagine with the type of woman I am, right. but it happens. Um, the financial abuse, I'm smart enough to not let him have taken all my money and have shared accounts and all that, because that is quite common. I kept my money to myself, and I actually changed banks so he didn't know the the, the PIN numbers to my accounts, etc. Gotcha. Um, but and I paid for everything in the house except for the rent, which he did. But in the end, he wasn't paying it either. And then, of course, the physical abuse. He was a very smart man, so he never left a mark on me. He'd do things to me that weren't um, visible, and you know, people are, people are clever. And so, I often hear programs about this happening to quite well-educated women as myself. Right. And they're the people that keep it to themselves because they think they can deal with it. I actually really appreciate you bringing out the, the fact that this actually can happen to well-educated women. It's not, just a, it's not just a symptom of low economic status or you know, things like yeah. that. It actually can happen to anybody. And everybody, but you you said that the women who are more well off or more educated tend to hide it, thinking they can take care of it themselves. Do you think part of that has to do with shame, or how does shame play a role in that? I never felt shame. It's funny. I just thought he might finally, as an intelligent man, work it out and go seek some help. Okay, but as it became more prevalent to my doctors and I that the mental health and mental illness had kicked in as well, that he needed to seek help and he refused to. It was a really dear friend of mine actually that turned around. She'd she'd grown up with an abusive father and she said to me that I need to be able to wrap my brain around something really important, which is this. An alcoholic will pick a fight with you if you are silent if you agree with them or if you argue with them because they just want to pick a fight. Once she said that, it made sense because beforehand I would scramble to try and choose an option where to go oh. in that conversation with right. him. And, and the minute I knew it's okay, I'm not doing the wrong thing, then everything was a little bit easier. So once I opened up to my, my GP about this, I said to him, you know, do I need to seek counselling? I said, and he goes, well, what do you think? And I said, I'm asking you. And he said, what do you think? I said, I do not believe so. And he said, I think you have been making some incredibly smart decisions on how to manage certain situations that flare up with your husband. And so we made an agreement that whenever I felt particularly weak emotionally, I simply just had to call my doctor's clinic and say, I need to come see him, my, my, my doctor. Mm-hmm. And they would instantly say, come in. And they would make a space for me amongst all the bookings. 
And then if my doctor at any point felt that I was not making the right decisions, then he would refer me on to a therapist. But I'm really proud to say I've actually never seen a therapist in my entire life. Let's take what you were just saying about counselors and you had a, a very kind doctor who made who was willing to make space for you. What about the person mm-hmm. who who doesn't have that? And the person who may not be as strong to make good decisions and what would be your your words of wisdom to that person as far as how to seek help, whether it's a counselor or or something of the sort? Well, it's funny you say that. At at the time I didn't have a smartphone, so I my access to the internet was almost zero. I had just an old slide phone that was real hard to surf the net, and um, I didn't know about all these amazing organizations, especially in Australia, so I'm assuming they're around the world, each country of, of um, yeah, of, of places to go, of, you know, 24-hour numbers. I know America's a little different to Australia with our, our GPs, but I know here, and I have this incredible emotional relationship with my GP. I mean, sometimes when I go see him, I, I know it was his birthday a couple of years ago and he just hit the wall of how old he was getting. And I just said, stop what you're doing right now. And I actually threw my arms around him and gave him this huge hug. And I said, I don't know if it's breaching any regulations, but <laughs> it's all right. You know, it's all right. And I actually was a doctor for a minute. If you can find someone to talk to, especially in a, in a world of um, to do with health, they can guide you in the right direction. And there's all the support lines for housing and, and battered women and all that too. But I just, um, and now I see these incredible organizations for women, women and men with disabilities that are abused. I, I never knew they existed beforehand, but they did, but I, I never went to them. I just went to someone I knew and trusted exclusively with my health right. and my life, which was my doctor. And he was able to point me in all the right directions, which was really nice. And, and that's what doctors are for. They're not about just to write a prescription. They're not about to give you bad news as well. They're actually there to help you emotionally as well. I, I love that you bring that out. So you brought up another layer of this domestic abuse or domestic violence, and, and that is the community that is disabled. What a whole other challenge that that would, and I'm not, I'm not trying to lessen the challenge of anybody who's in this situation, but I would imagine that um, having a disability adds a whole other element to the yeah. violent situation. Well, it shocked me to find out in Australia that 99.5% of women with a disability are abused by their spouse or what? carer. Whoa, you just said, did you say 99.5% yeah. of dis- women with disabilities mm. are Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I only heard of cattle. I don't, right? I didn't even <laughs> yeah. know what to that. I, I, I know, I felt ill. But as I said, don't forget, there's all these different forms of abuse, but it's still abuse. It, yeah. It's basically lack of respect for another human. Yeah. And it's just, it is so disgusting. And this is why, like, from my world, they could never imagine that I went through this, that I had to endure that not-so-pleasant section of my life. 
because I am who I am. I'm pretty tough. Right. Well, I was but, blown away when you shared this aspect of your life with me. Cause I, I mean, I was just focused on the being wowed by everything you've done after becoming blind. And then, then you're just like, oh yeah, and I've got this element too. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. That's life, you know? It yeah. is life. I, I, um, it was, it was really interesting. So towards the end, um, it got too much and my my stepdad, who was my dad since I was six, had survived heart surgery and we were so thrilled and then day five he got a blood clot and ended up passing away. You know, we'd sort of gotten over that day three hurdle and thought I'd be all right. right. And we all like a big sigh of relief and then day five and um they couldn't save him and and all that my husband could do was clap and cheer and say good and I could not believe what I was hearing. And it was just at that point, I've gone, this is just ridiculous. And so I stepped up my search to basically escape. And then it came to that last New Year's Eve and uh, he had gone out to get cigarettes and eight hours later still wasn't home. And I, I did the wrong thing. And I, I texted him and I said, so as your wife, should I be concerned where you are considering you had no money? And you've been gone for eight hours. And uh, he refused to message me back. And he came to the door just going ballistic. Now, after ripping me to shreds verbally, because he was too drunk to actually hurt me, um, and I was too fast (laughs) 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 to to dodge him, um, I, I sat there explaining to him that at some point, even though by this point I resented him, I was still concerned as a fellow human, was he all right? Because he wouldn't return my messages. Right. And and then he was yelling at me and I was apologizing for upsetting him, mm-hmm. but I needed to make sure he was okay. And then he passed out and I was in tears. And I realized, or I should say I questioned myself, why was I apologizing for him being disrespectful rude and downright mean and cruel when I'd done nothing wrong. Why was I apologizing? This is not me. And that's when I sat there on like the floor of my my place just going, I literally have 5% left of my self-worth. This is not me. This is definitely not what I am made of. And so three weeks later, I left him. Wow. That's a big decision. It was huge. Because we've been together for 18 years, almost all our friends, and it wasn't that I'd met them through him, but 18 years together, you have mutual friends. And so, you know, friends are real important for me with my support network. And I just had to bite the bullet and decide that I am more important than their friendship. And, And I thought it would be interesting to see who makes contact when I leave. But I knew I had this beautiful core support of my nearest and dearest friends. So um, I eventually contacted um, these family friends, actually the lady I'd said who was like my mom, my Australian mom, and they rescued me. Um, It was not the ideal situation, but I went and stayed with them for four months. Uh, The first month I just needed to regain that strength in myself emotionally and and wrap my brain around this incredible change I'd, I'd made. 
And then for the next 12 weeks, I decided that a share house, which I considered to be like a small community, would be the best thing for me. I would be able to then not only afford to live, but I'd be surrounded by people and I would have enough money to still be social. Right. Opposed to just living on my own in a tiny little one-bedroom place um, and basically not having much of a social life because I'd be spending all on rent. In Australia, rent is so expensive. It's obscene. And I'm so thrilled I made that choice to to move into a share house. I, uh, on the 2nd of May, would have lived with the same people for four years. And we've lived in two separate houses, with mm-hmm. the same people. And it's been real amazing. They are, we all talk about being a family. And, you know, we all have our disagreements and right. bicker and all that stuff. But that's because when you know each other for long enough. Right. You know the ins and outs, but it was the best decision I made, and I am so proud of myself. Actually, at the four-year mark of leaving my husband, I sent a text to every person in my world telling them it was 1,462 days since I found my voice, grew my wings, and learned to laugh because that was the regeneration of me. Um, I often talk about metamorphosis, like a butterfly is one of my favorite. Yeah, it is the natural progression of of life. I've reincarnated as a butterfly a few times, but each time I like to think that my wings are more and more beautiful. Absolutely. So, so just talking about this metamorphosis, I think I just I would like to go back and just recap just a little bit. So if we've got somebody listening who is in this situation where they're finding themselves in a, in a domestic violence living experience, whether they're whether it's a spouse or it's a boyfriend or or maybe maybe the female is the one that's that's causing the havoc, but that for mm-hmm. you one it took you out to even realize what was going on and to and to come to terms with it. Um, you had you had someone who was willing to point it out and give you a safe space to talk, and then it sounded like it got to a point where you finally were like, wait a minute. Because I think there's a lot of, of people who are in these situations because I fully believe that human beings are good people. And it's the, the things that happen to us that cause us to act out badly and cause harm to other people. It's not that we're bad people. We, we yeah. have stuff that we yeah. haven't had the tools or the know-how to fix. And so you being a caring person, like probably most of the, the people finding themselves in these similar situations do have some care about that person and but I love that you said I, you got to this realization like why am I apologizing why am I the one yeah you know and that Absolutely. gave you that little bit of hope to start taking those next steps but here's what I love about what you said is I didn't hear you say I created this big plan and I, I kind of knew every step you said I left I just left and I called this person I reached out and they came and and um, I think you said you use the word rescued, they rescued me. And you yeah. said it wasn't an ideal situation. And I would imagine that in a lot of these cases, when you move out of a situation like that, it's not going to be in an ideal situation and that that is okay because it's a start. And then you start. Yeah, it, it, it's, steps. it's just, it's a, it's a lily pad uh-huh. for you to bounce off to the next lily pad like a frog. It's just the next 
step in your greater plan. I um, So kind of like it's a yeah. place to just kind of give some, some respite to start yeah. a breath and to start seeing a different picture. Would that, would, does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something really important that I, um, all these like epiphanies that happened to me towards the end and I, I gained that strength to walk was that um, I just came to the realization that his problems were his. They weren't mine. He had to be accountable for his problems because I couldn't fix them for him. He had to try and fix them himself. And what he was going through actually wasn't my problem. Even though he was my husband, at the end of the day, we are only, we're responsible for our own selves. Amen. And yeah, and and so I just have all these little, like I said, these little key points of, hang on, why am I apologizing when I've done nothing wrong? His problems are his problems. He's always going to pick a fight with me because he just wants to argue. And so it was all, it was just all the, all the, the pieces in the puzzle fit together. I mean, I always knew what was going on, but it was just, and when everything started fitting into place, I'm like, no. I think everything fitting into place was my key to exit stage left. So on the advice of my family lawyer and my doctor, I left in the middle of the day. I didn't tell him. You know, we'd argued so many times and I just begged him to leave me and he wouldn't because he was so arrogant. He would never leave the blind woman ever. He would never want people to think less of him, like he was the cruel person. Even though the cruelty in itself was the abuse, but right. he was in denial of that. He thought he was doing nothing wrong. And so um, my doctors just said to make it safe for you, and, and I have a beautiful dog that we'd got actually before we even got married, and she's still at 12 years old going now. And I knew that she was more important to him than I was towards the end. But she's my dog. So my doctor and I said, lawyer just said, make all your plans, set everything in motion, and then don't tell him you're leaving. And then make contact when you left. So I organized to leave that day. And yeah, two hours after he left, I called these people. They came up. Three of us packed my, my place up in three and a half hours. And we left. I dropped the keys off to my landlord's house. I told them what I was doing. And in the interim, by the way, my husband had had us evicted because he drank all our rent money. He actually told me he was going to do it, and he successfully did it. Wow. This is this is six weeks after my dad died. As I said, it just was becoming worse by the day. So I um, once I got safely to where I went, I called him three times. He refused to answer my call. I said, please call me back with a voicemail message. He didn't, so I sent her a really long text, which is the most disgraceful thing you could ever imagine because you never break up an 18-year-old, 18 relationship with a text message, but he wouldn't make contact with me. So I wrote this really, really beautifully long, eloquent text message, yeah. and all he could say in the reply was, where's my dog and where's my dryer? Wow. And um, I said, one, she's your not dog, she's, you know, and two, the dryer is mine, you idiot. And so we decided that has to be the coolest country and western song ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
So as I'm listening to you and as a listener is listening, you know, it's, it's going to be really easy for people to want to get all up in arms and think, you know, what a, what a jackass and what a, you know, whatever words they want to use to describe him. And, and there's one thing that I want to make really clear from the way that I view things. And one, I am not saying it's okay what he's done. I'm not, I'm not okaying that at all. But when we see people in these situations, I'm going to encourage the listener. And I, I would, I would guess that Melissa, based off of some things you and I've talked about, that you, you would stand by me in this is that mm-hmm. when you see people who are abusing other people, one, it's not okay. It's not okay. And we want to make mm-hmm. sure that those who are being abused get taken care of. But at the same time, we've got to be able to see the humanness, even of the soul who's doing the abusing and what has happened in their life that has taken them to this point where they can be abusive to other people and, and hurt them. And in mm-hmm. my mind and the things that I've learned, it is way hurt people who, who don't know how to heal or haven't been given that opportunity, who stay in a victim space that continue this cycle. And when we choose to look at them as these big, huge villains, we kind of continue that as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I um, I remember years into our marriage and um, one night he was quite drunk and but not, not aggressive at that stage. And, and he'd actually said, I hate myself when I'm sober. Mm. And I said, why? Wow, that's a big... He said, awful. because I'm so... Yeah, and, and he said, I'm so boring. And I said, are you serious? I said, when you are sober, you are the funniest man I have ever met. I said, you have the most ridiculous laugh. I said, you have a brilliant, sharp, witty sense of humor. And I said, you're incredibly thoughtful of others. And I said, quite witty. Now, I didn't then say what he was like when he was drunk because that would trigger something not so pleasant reaction but when he was drunk he was loud abusive bullish or bullish aggressive and actually really arrogant and egotistical and as each year went on it got worse and he came from an average background as well um but i i i just think um he was always a loud boisterous outspoken man and he was definitely the life of the party but to actually not like who you are sober was really was sad. And it was something I'd forgotten for years until towards the end. And I went, he hates himself. And so about four months before I had left him, I, um, I tend to, I have asthma. So when I get sick, I cough so hard that I actually distress my vocal cords. And prime example was two weeks ago when we'd organized a visit do another podcast I couldn't talk yet because mm-hmm. I've been sick so um, this time around though um, when I was still married I actually wasn't allowed to speak for five days straight to totally relax my vocal cords and and he came home and he was in a weird half-half mood and he said something really nasty and cruel about my family which was completely untrue and I just I don't know what it was but I I left up out of the couch and flew down the hallway into the bedroom and I basically started yelling at him like I was in a football stadium. I don't even know where the voice came from. Well, I do know because I have a voice like that when I want to, but not being able to talk, I was like, wow, 
is there a megaphone built in my vocal cords right now? <laughs> anyway, but that was the adrenaline. Right. Yeah, the adrenaline took over. And, and I realized as I was yelling at him, I was actually taking a step towards him and he was backing off every time. I actually had him cornered in the, middle, in the room, wow. cornered in the wall. And then he put his arms up and actually burst into tears and was scared of me. Wow. Now, I'm five foot three. He was six foot. I realized at that point he was simply a bully. Nothing else but a bully. And bullies are, another word for bully is coward. Often people that have no self-esteem and confidence and they come across with e egotism and, and, and arrogance are the ones that are the bullies. Yeah. And so that's when I realized at that point, yeah, I'm tough. <laughs> I've got what it takes. I, I, can, I can break down an army with my words. This is another key that helped me open that door to escape. It was really nice. Wow. Not necessarily nice to yell at someone, but defend to sorry, to defend, you know, the integrity of my family. Right. Um, well, and and you were able to step into a a power that maybe you didn't even realize you had that that helped and bolster you and and like like wait a minute, I have value and worth yeah. and. I have this big part of me that I didn't even realize I had in me. Not that you were trying to be yeah. a bully or a coward, but you're saying, I am standing up for myself and my family. And I won't. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's. Absolutely. That's and I just, that can be pretty outspoken. They, they sort of pass a joke that, wow, you must be pretty intense to live with. And I said, far from it. I'm actually a pussycat. I said, because home is your sanctuary. Home is to where you go to be safe and to relax and to be kind and to be loved home should not be a battlefield and that's what my home was like and that's what I know many people's homes are like yeah. and you need to stop that from happening I was saying to you earlier before we started this interview that um for me what works and I've always talked about that what works for me doesn't work for everybody but I can never classify myself as a survivor of domestic abuse or violence. I simply endured it because it is a realistic part of life, not everybody's life, but it happens. And by saying that I endured it does not make me a victim because I don't like to think that I'm a victim to anyone. That for me, that works. That, that, that keeps me strong. Um, but as I said, everybody's different. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's, you know, I did ask you, like, before we started, like, what is the intention of this message that you would like to get out? And that's what you said, is that I am not a survivor, because that would make me a victim. And, and we had this conversation mm -hmm. about victim versus victimized, and how really, everybody at some point in their life will be victimized. There's a million ways that that can happen. And everybody's going to get the opportunity to experience and some on way bigger levels than others and and not to diminish it for anybody because it's hard whatever it is and mm. the, and the thing that we yeah, but... out was staying in that place is a choice that you really yeah. have the opportunity to look inside yourself and and have that moment where you for yourself where your voice really came out and find that piece of you that says and no more and that everybody yeah. is born with that ability to say and no more 
take this experience and learn from it and grow from it, a metamorphosis, and move on. Mm -hmm. So as, as we wrap this up, do you have any final thoughts in regards to just, like you say, that last statement of, of choosing to live empowered versus in a victim state of mind? Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't share what I was going through with many people. I, I didn't tell my mom because she lived overseas and she was powerless to help me. I told this one family friend because she'd gone through the, the abuse with her father. So she was the one that gave me some really good things to stand by. Um, I told my best friend who actually I had met through my husband. They grew up together and um, my GP and my diabetes specialist because it was really important for my health. And I kept it minimal. And I felt by kept keeping it minimal, it kept me in control. Because when too many people know they want to help, but the thing is, people can't help you. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to. Your doctor can help you, like I said, but friends and all that can't. Unless they have a place for you to move into and you can escape. Um, and it, it proved right when my best friend actually told one of our other friends, actually, he was the best man in our wedding. And so he had a talk to my husband and said, you know, you really need to lay off Melissa and, and be a bit kinder. Well, that backfired in the most beautiful way. And he came home and my husband and just screamed and yelled the holes in the walls and everything you can imagine. And so, and, and just told the right people for the right reason. Um, so that I kept it in control. And, and it was also, you keep it tight, you keep it close to you because otherwise I think it's just advertising it, you know, and publicizing something going on opposed to dealing with it. Finding the people who can help you move through it rather than people in their, in their wanting to be helpful and in their goodness but maybe not understanding to actually keep you in it. And, and usually those people that yeah. you are probably more few in number than, than the other. And so I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, and, and I think um, I, I pride myself on being a fairly intelligent person and that I always learn from my mistakes. And so whenever I meet a, a person like that now, like my ex, I literally run a zillion miles from them emotionally. That is the farthest thing from my attraction. Um, you know, you hear a lot of people they repeat, they repeat the same situation. They they still find that same type of person they're drawn to. Not for me. No way. I think the thing that the other people need to know about this whole story is that um he actually ended up having uh, hepatitis C. He got it through a blood transfusion before I'd actually met him. And then he was diagnosed with a hep C and et cetera, et cetera, and refused to have treatment because he couldn't drink and then he was an alcoholic and so forth. And um, the doctor said to us, if you do not change your life, you will die of liver cancer. And a year and a half after I left him, he actually died of liver cancer. And what really at this point hit home to my entire world and by the way, all the people that came out of the woodwork that we'd lost as friends, that we thought were just too busy with their own lives and they were selfish. Mm -hmm. They just didn't want to hang around him anymore. They didn't want to see how he was treating me. Um, the first things that came out of my mouth when I found out that he had passed away was unsafe. And once people heard that, they actually realized how bad it was. 
not that that was a good thing, but for me that was a, a really strong moment that they realised it was genuine and because and people often think that you're being dramatic and that you're just blowing things out of proportion. Right. Um, and so I was actually told in no uncertain terms that I was not welcome at the funeral. Okay. And uh, I, because I would have caused trouble because he'd actually told everybody that I left him for someone else because the truth would never come out because right. then it, was, it would show it was that he too was hard for him to to be able to yeah, live the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. And and like you said, people do things for whatever reasons in their past and whatever and towards the end, as I said, he was definitely ill. I, I sat there in my house and I just remember at, at the time the funeral was on and I I just had a moment to myself, a spiritual moment, and I just said goodbye to the man I met the man I fell in love with, the man I married, but not the man I left. Okay, that right there, Because that man I left, yeah. <laughs> that is very, very powerful. Right there, that's healing. Exactly, And exactly. I, I think that if, if the people who listen to this particular episode, if they get nothing else out of this, what you just said, is taking those moments to, that actually, like it bring up emotion to me, to be grateful for the man that you met, grateful for the man that you married. And how did you say that the letting go of, of the man that that you left? Yeah. That right there, wow. That's powerful. <laughs> and I want to encourage those listening who are in situations like this or who may know people like this, that wow, when you can get into that place, and it takes time. It takes time. And it's gonna be different for everybody that when you can get in that place of gratitude, because these people, even though there's a lot of pain in our lives coming from the situation, they have lessons to teach us. Like they're, they're in our lives for a reason. And when we can find what that is and be grateful, I think that's when we're able to stand more in our own power and let go of the victim and, and continue to move on. And oh, I don't even, I don't even have the word. It just, it's amazing. Yeah. As we end this up, wow, seriously, if no, if they get nothing else, that right there. So as we end this, what would be three things that you would want our listener to know about um, how to move forward if they or someone they know are in a situation like this? What would be three things you would encourage them to do? To move forward, uh -huh. you need to seek that help. You need to speak. You need to share with, as I said, the right people, not just anybody. Um, all wounds heal. Everything heals. I make a joke when I meet people now that I say to them, do you have a broken heart? And they say, yes. So they say, do you? And I said, I don't know. Mine's all healed. A heap of scar tissue around it, and it's all healed. <laughs> <laughs> and right then, making you laugh, is what I'm all about and, and the people that know me and know my story and our listeners now who are going to go what huh how can you laugh at a moment like this right. I am proof that through the worst like people go how can you smile how can you laugh with what you've been through how can you be one of the happiest people we've ever met because life is beautiful and life goes on so my analogy that I've wrapped my brain around since New Year's Eve has been this. 
and I, I talked about you this with you for the title of this, Stepping Out of the Darkness into the Light. If you hide in the darkness, consider yourself a solar panel. How can you re-energize? How can you have the energy to shine as bright and as beautiful if you're not in the light? I absolutely love it. And it, goes, <laughs> it goes right along with part of your things to live by in, in your first podcast is, you know, be willing to step into the dark because the dark is a part of us, but shine as brightly as yeah. you can while you're there. And then learn to step out of the darkness into the light yeah. because we need that light to re-energize. You know what? Life is good. We're going to have some bumps. We're going to have some potholes. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a few things go wrong. Right. It's life, though, and I wouldn't want to have it any other way. One of the reasons I yeah. love you. Oh, thank you so much. For, again, <laughs> you know. to, to share this out in such a public way and to share your wisdom of how to move through it, how to start gaining strength, and then those rules to yeah. live by, you know, seek help. And speak your voice, but find the, the people who are really going to assist you. Yeah. Remind- Never feel ashamed. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, that all wounds heal. And then to find a way to laugh. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, my gosh, friends. If you have liked any part of my conversation with Melissa today, we invite you to share it with two people. Get the link. Share it out. Imagine what's going to happen when you share it with two people and then they share it with two people. How many lives can change? If you like it even more than that, we invite you to share your dollars with us to continue helping bring amazing people like Melissa to the Living Courageously Exposed podcast and sharing amazing content that changes lives. And those lives change will then start changing the world. I also remind you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This is a new thing that I'm going to start reminding you to do is go on, give us a listen, and then give us a rating. We would absolutely love that. And we're going to end this like we always do and just say thanks for listening. And you've got to believe in yourself or no one else can. They'll be great.